Let's get ready to listen quietly. And let's go. First and goal from the nine. Back to Montgomery. David Montgomery for the Bears touchdown. And Chicago takes the lead. Pressure coming. Fields whips it outside to Montgomery. His second touchdown. Bears take advantage of the takeaway. Fields moves in the pocket and gets away. Justin Fields takes off. Turns a sack into a big game and a first down. Justin Fields, otherworldly. Fields has a wide open Pringle. Blown coverage and a touchdown. And the Bears not dead yet. Does it matter win, lose, or draw? We want to see championship habits from the individual. So that means the minute you come into the building, you are laser-like focused on the job at hand until the minute you leave, and then afterward you're studying to make sure you're going to perform at a high level. Clips courtesy of Fox Sports. And coming at you from the basement of the basement, you know the spiel of WCBTA 20 in Chicago. This is the Sports Cubicle, where the inmates run the asylum and the boss, well... He's going to yell at us on Monday morning because we're working overtime. And you hear that, Paul? It sounds like, uh, what is that? That's the keys. World Cup's over. After today, you know where you're going, right? Where am I going? Back in your little cage! Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. And I mean, you'll be all, all calm there with another Bears loss. Mike Mercado, he's actually be doing a live field remote from that game. And of course, we're going to let you talk World Cup one last time. One last time. Now, are you going to let me talk about this before or after you collect your winnings? Yeah, your money on you? <laughs> Ricardo, take it away. I got to beat some sense into Paul. I mean, talk politely and quietly and calmly to Paul. Chicago Bears fall to the Philadelphia Eagles 25 to 20 and it was a very interesting game to say the least as a Bears fan watching this matchup. I'm Mike Mercado here on the Sports Cubicle with the marvelous one Dan Marver, Devin Tingle, and Paul Shibari throughout the entire show and I am actually recording this coming out of Soldier Field after this game and just some quick points I want to get to. One, just kind of seeing how good Philly really is with these weapons. You saw all game with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown being able to do whatever they wanted against this Bears defense. Now, to be fair to the Bears, watching Jalen Johnson and Brisker and Gordon make plays was impressive. They did do some damage against Jalen Hurts throwing the ball, but this offense is just too potent for such a weak defense. And from what I've seen in this game, the Bears played a professional game. The Bears didn't embarrass themselves. The Bears don't have enough playmakers, not named Justin Fields and David Montgomery, to make an impact against a team like Philadelphia. So the question then becomes, what next after losing this game? Seven game win streak. You're going to be a top three draft pick. And you just saw what the pinnacle is in today's NFL in the regular season, at least. We'll see what happens with Philadelphia in the playoffs. It's really simple. You're going to try to imitate what Philadelphia did. You're going to try to find your A.J. Brown. You're going to try to find your Devontae Smith. You're going to try to find and replicate what you're doing with David Montgomery like they do with Miles Sanders and, and Kenneth Gainwell. So it's a copycat league. You got to have some playmakers in the front four, both offensively and defensively with your lines, the front five offensively specific. But the Bears put themselves in a bad spot to not want to make sure that they had the right offensive and defensive players this late into the season. 
And I only bring that up because you saw defensively how bad and how outmatched this team is compared to the teams on the other level. So the only real thing you learned from this game is Justin Fields is a special player. He can make special plays. He's entertaining to watch. But he doesn't have the same class of talent like other quarterbacks do, like a Tyreek, like a Tua Tungavailoa in Miami, and like a Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. You see what Josh Allen does with Steph Diggs. It is a huge difference for Bears and, and other teams trying to get to this level to be able to find talent like that. To be able to make a trade with Tennessee and flip another draft pick and have draft capital and be able to find certain teams that are willing to give you a lot of assets and players that can impact you now. Philadelphia has this very smart GM. We'll see what happens with, with Miami and these moves. But there's as much frustration as there was for the Bears and in this Bears game. There is stuff to be excited about. There is some optimism. But you got to look for it. You got to find a diamond in the rough. So you're going to try to emulate. You're going to try to copy whatever Philly does, whatever Miami does. You're going to have to install it. You know you have a top-tier guy. You have somebody that you can build with in Justin Fields. But you have to execute on it. And you have to make sure you're hitting on the proper dudes. Go find your A.J. Brown. Go find your DeAndre Hopkins, your Devontae Adams. Go find your unicorn. Give this kid somebody that can make a play. Luke Etsy needs to get better with these play calls. He's got to get more aggressive. What are you being conservative for this late into the season? But in the stadium, watching at Soldier Field, having a great time, you can see the talent difference on both sides of the field when it comes to a team like the Eagles and a team like the Bears. But a seven-game losing streak continues after falling to the Philadelphia Eagles 25-20 at Soldier Field. I'm Mike Mercado. Bears fall to the Philadelphia Eagles 25-20. You're out of your mind. There is no way that LeBron will ever beat Jordan. Nobody will ever beat Jordan, okay? Okay, LeBron's a better rebounder and passer. Will you let me finish? Can you, can you let me finish? Call me when LeBron has six championships. That's your only argument? It's the only argument I need, Sean! It must be the holiday season. Christmas has come early. Hopefully all the Hanukkah presents are ready. Guys, it must be fun because Jerry Riles is back here on the Sports Cubicle with Woo! Devin Tingle, Paul Shivari, the marvelous one, Dan Harver. I'm Mike Mercado. That's right. We had to bring the whole crew together this holiday season to talk to one of our best friends, the one and only Jerry Riles. Jerry, welcome back to the Sports Cubicle, my friend. Hey, Matt, thank you so very much. It's always a pleasure and an honor to join you guys on the Sports Cubicle, and especially especially with the uh, holiday a special gift for yours truly. So uh, always a pleasure. I thank you for the invitation, my good friend. Of course, and uh, we are excited here because we get to talk. When we get to talk to you, we learn a lot, and we get the chance to talk about so many different perspectives in the sports world from Paulie and Devin to Marvelous, myself, and having the chance to talk to you about this kind of subject, I think, is a really present come early for Chicago sports fans because there has been an argument about who the GOAT is. Is it Bill Russell? Is it Kobe Bryant? Is it LeBron James? Magic Johnson? Larry Bird? But I think the NBA has answered that question because it was announced earlier this week that the Kia NBA Most Valuable Player Award is now being called 
the Michael Jordan Trophy. Before we get into some spooning and loving of Michael Jordan, here are some details about this new trophy. It is 23.6 inches in height and weighs 23.6 pounds, representing his jersey number and the number of championships. It has a 23-point facet crystal ball, a nod to, of course, his jersey number. 15-degree angle base, a nod to his 15-season career. Five-sided base to not his five league MVPs. And most important, the six-sided nameplate representing his six NBA championships. Jerry, I want to start with you. We're going to go around the room this holiday season. We're around the fireplace having some eggnog getting ready. And we see this amazing news. When you saw that the MVP trophy is now called the Michael Jordan trophy, your initial thoughts, watching him, covering him, talking about him to the moment now in history where the most valuable player in the NBA now gets recognized with the Michael Jordan trophy. Hey, Mike, very, very well said, very well described. You painted a a, a fantastic picture. But to answer your question, when I heard the news that broke on Tuesday of this week, first and foremost, it brought a tear to my eye because he is definitely the player who ever laced him up. But my second thought, guys, was that that puts the, the, the end of all this LeBron James stuff, man. LeBron James is a heck of a talent. There's no question about it. But to call him the GOAT of the NBA has always been totally ridiculous to me to hear that conversation. So when uh, the commissioner, Adam Silver, made the announcement and the decision that this trophy is going to be named after Michael Jeffrey Jordan, it, it, it sealed everything and signed, sealed, deliver. It puts the exclamation point on it that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. And every single season, whoever the recipient will be is going to get the Michael Jeffrey Jordan trophy. And so that it, it, it closes the door on any conversation as far as who's the greatest of all time to play in the National Basketball Association. And I'm, I'm just ecstatic. And, and, and pleased that this man was able to finally get recognized. I can tell you guys this, and you mentioned the, uh, you know, I had the, the the opportunity, the blessing to cover Michael Jordan during those incredible years, even before the, the championship run. And I always said, whether I was on uh, WSCR, the score sports radio 670, or with uh, WCPT 820 AM, the rewind sports 60, that the logo, the NBA logo should be changed and put Michael Jordan's logo there. I believe that the late uh, David Stern did not want to disrespect, but I think the Jumpman became symbolic of basketball, not only for the professional race, but all throughout the world as far as sports are concerned. And so I think that was an honor in its own right. And of course, Nike and, and Michael, they had the you know, the brain trust to put that thing together. But I always felt that Michael Jordan should have been recognized more than any other player with no disrespect in the league and the history because of what he meant and what he was able to accomplish coming to the Chicago Bulls, which was a uh, a bottom feeder back in, uh, in 85. And he literally put the team on his back. And of course, we see the end results with the six championships, the two three-peats. Um, so it's, it's an honor and a, and, a, and, a, and a blessing 
for Michael Jordan to finally get recognized as the number one player. So we're going to go around the cubicle and we're going to go ahead and give our opinions, our thoughts, our emotions. We heard this. And then we're going to get back to Jerry Riles, the, the mentor, the sensei of the sports cubicle from the Rewind Sports 60, because we have some things we got to pick his brain about this huge news. But let's go around the office. Let's go around the cubicle. I want to start with Marvelous. When you heard this news, your initial thought of watching Michael's entire career from the kid who broke his foot and then dominated the Celtics in the game in the playoffs to now every jersey, every shoe, and now the MVP award is awarded to this former Chicago Bull, the greatest of all time. Your thought, Marvelous, when you heard this news? It's well-deserved, first of all. And I have a picture here in my office of uh, his final shot with the Bulls where he uh, uh, politely pushes Byron Russell out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and take that shot. But you know, one thing in this, in this trophy, do they have his, his tongue sticking out at all or, or not? <laughs> no tongue, no tongue on the trophy. So that, that was a trademark. I mean, obviously in addition to being a wonderful uh, player, a great player, he, he brought the NBA Chicago had really not been much of an NBA city, honestly. I mean, two teams had failed in the NBA years ago and the bulls weren't trying that well. And it really actually changed the whole fortunes of the Bulls as well. You know, they became a hot item, obviously, uh, with their championship. So I think that he was a great ambassador for Chicago, for the league. And, uh, you know, he still uh, is, is, is a great person, you know, when they, when they ever talk to him. And, and it's great because a lot of athletes, former athletes, get involved in other things that are controversial. He never has, which I applaud him for as well. So everything about Michael... Uh, speaks well, and the trophy is well-deserved. There obviously are other candidates. They have Russell get, uh, I think, is the MB- MVP of, a, of, the, of the playoffs now. So there are some other trophies that are, are given for other players, but uh, there's no question that this honor is well-deserved for Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Paulie, this is one of the only teams that you root for in our wonderful city of Chicago. You are somebody who loves sports. You obviously being on this show, you've produced board up back with Jerry in the rewind sports 60 days. You've talked to marvelous. You've talked to Jerry, you talked to Devin and I, and obviously the pulse of the city is something we've all united on is the love for Michael Jordan, different generations watching him and knowing of his legend, but now seeing it kind of culminate to this moment. It's all into this moment now where the MVP is given to him to give it to somebody named after him. Your thoughts of 23 now becoming the MVP. Well, it's funny. I think the Bulls are the only team that you and I both agree on. So, yeah, of course, it's, a, it's you know, I was spoiled in my childhood to, to witness all six of those championships. I made it to the uh, Chicago Stadium and the early days of the United Center to see a few games of Michael Jordan in person. Um, you know, he's a one of a kind player. I always thought of it as like, you know, at that time, maybe not at that time, but looking back on those times that, you know, I was witnessing greatness in the nineties with the bulls. It's like the 1920s Yankees or the, you know, the 1970s Steelers, you know, you saw a, a classic team for the ages and, and he was the ringleader and to go six and oh in the, the NBA finals. And, and even looking at his stats, you know, the 1989, 90 season, this guy's averaging 33.6 points and he places third in the MVP voting, you know, so, so he arguably could have more than the five MVP trophies that he already has. So he's much deserving of, of having the honor of being the, the greatest player of the, of the season award should be named after Michael Jordan. And, and of course, you know, I think every, 
every kid growing up now, despite the fact that they see LeBron James, they know kind of where this NBA got some of its, its look and its, its style and its feel was from Michael Jordan and the way he changed the game. So this is, I think, a long overdue situation for, for his name to be kind of, um, you know, in, emblazoned in greatness by the NBA. You know, this is, this is a step short of retiring 23 across the league. And, and while that would be a little extreme to do, you know, he's deserving of it, that would be a little extreme to tell every team that, that 23 needs to be taken um, out of the, the uniform drawer. Um, you know, he's not quite Jackie Robinson, but for what he did to this game, for the game of basketball and the way it's globalized, he's definitely important on that stage. So this is, um, this is way overdue. And it's, it's another, uh, you know, we can kind of, um, you know, gloat here in Chicago that it was our guy. And, and yes, he is the greatest of all time. Um, despite the fact that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has more MVP awards, despite the fact that Wilt Chamberlain got a hundred points in a game one time, uh, despite the fact that there's guys that scored way more points in a single game than him, he is the greatest of all time. It's almost undeniable when you put it to that point, all the, the men and, and athletes that have shaped and that we walk in the footsteps of you're these athletes that he is just head and shoulders above them. That just goes to show the cult of personality he was able to build from his days in North Carolina to his final days in Washington. But now we go to Dev, the youngest person at the water cooler. And you and I closer in age. I remember the final three much more. I remember the return of Michael as a wizard the same day the Bears lost to the Eagles in the NFL playoffs. Devin, your memory, your thought of 23, number six, number nine, number 45, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, MJ, now becoming the face of the MVP. I got to say, uh, again, I was alive for three of those, uh, you know, championship wins. I was too young to remember any of them. I mean, honestly, I had a Michael Jordan Wizards poster in my room as a kid. That'll really date myself right there. I definitely remember that the most. Uh, fun fact, uh, I always thought that Jordan playing baseball was just part of Space Jam. I didn't know that was a real thing until <laughs> I got older. But definitely just kind of piggyback off what Paul said. It's like we have someone from Chicago, you know, it's like that's – you know, nation, you know, kind of known well. Like, hell, my grandma has never watched a basketball game, but she knows who Michael Jordan is. It's a name just kind of economist, uh, you know, well-known with the world here. And, I mean, definitely just the greatest of all time. You're always going to know Jordan. My cousin, who wasn't even alive when Jordan played with the Wizards, has, like, several Jordan T-shirts and jerseys. Guy's been on, like, video game covers years after being out of there. And has ESPN ever done, like, a six-series season on any other athlete? I mean, I'm pretty sure Jerry actually was an extra in the background of a few of those episodes of The Last Dance, so I'm not sure. Jerry, is that true? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I should have been in uh, more of the, uh, the the Last Dance, um, but I some of the footage got uh, left on the, uh, the, the, the cutting floor there. But, um, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was, it was quite a, 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 a ride uh, with the Bulls, and, again, you know, Devin, you talked about, uh, you know, you, you weren't around for a lot of it because uh, you're young. And uh, it's funny, you, you, you mentioned my son, you mentioned baseball. My son, uh, who's in his, I won't, but he's uh, older, uh, he was about probably nine or 10 years old when Jordan left the sport. Okay. And he thought the Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq Daddy, was better than Michael Jordan because when Michael Jordan came back and you talked about it, Ricardo, he wore the number 45. 
my son thought that Shaquille O'Neal was a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. And then, of course, the rest is history. <laughs> on the window, repeat, and, you know, it finally opened up his eyes. So I, I think that uh, this generation, this one in particular, because there are so many LeBron James fans out there, um, I think the last dance opened up their eyes to what type of player and person Michael Jordan truly was and what he really meant and means to the game. And here's the thing, fellas, when you have, when you, now, Michael Jordan is the greatest, believe it, but when you have his peers, Charles Barkley, Reggie, uh, Reggie Miller, when you have peers who played against him and give him the praise that they give him, these guys are sensational. They were superstars, all-stars, and MVPs or whatever the case may be. But they even said that this guy was something different. So to me, when your peers start to, and they've competed against you, and they start to give you those accolades and say you're the best and the greatest, it's it's about time that I, I, I think the NBA has finally recognized that. Um, and I, they have to cater to this new generation who, uh, you know, no players from today. A lot of names that are regarding and revolving around the NBA are the old school guys. You talked about, you know, the Bill Russells. You talked about the Kareems and the Will Chamberlains. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these kids don't know who those players were and are. They identify with this current uh, generation of players, and they see Michael Jordan as kind of like being a relic. But I think the NBA is saying we're moving forward on this deal. But if I can say this also, gentlemen, I think uh, – you know, Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. And I think Michael, uh, I think they kind of conspired to say, hey, you know what, we're going to put this LeBron James stuff, we're going to put all this stuff to a, to an end. And we're going to, we're going to name this trophy after the greatest of all. Because there's nothing left for LeBron James. You guys know, right? Yeah. There's, there, there, there's no other trophy available. Let me read a list of the other trophies that are out there. There's the Larry O'Brien trophy for the championship, the Michael Jordan MVP trophy, the Russell, Bill Russell NBA Finals MVP, Red Arbach, Coach of the Year, Joe Dumar, Sportsmanship, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, Conference Finals MVPs, Kobe Bryant, the All-Star MVP, and the six divisional trophies. There's also a slew of new and rebranded ones that was announced Tuesday as well. Hakeem Olajuwon, defensive player. John Havlicek, sixth man. Wilt Chamberlain, rookie. The George Mikan, most improved. A new award this year is the Clutch Player of the Year, named for Mr. Clutch himself, Jerry West. There's no trophy to give to LeBron James once he hangs it up. They but they got it. it right. Those those all make sense, don't they? The, the names associated with all those trophies seem to make sense, whereas like... Yeah. You know, with Major League Baseball, I love that Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, all those guys. But Willie Mays had like a terrible postseason stretch. And he's, uh, you know, he's associated with postseason baseball. Whereas NBA, those names are really tied to those successes. So I, I love that Jordan is kind of like the, you know, the pinnacle of all of that, of like the greatest player of a season belongs to Michael Jordan. That's, I don't yeah. know, that's neat to me. So, I mean, they would have to, that's, it's, it's outstanding and it's brilliant. So they're going to have to create an award for LeBron James because they're, they're all taken. Best it's, flopper. Oh, best, uh, uh, player uh, GM. Most likely to leave his team uh, behind. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Here's, you know, I, I'm glad you brought this up, Paulie, too, about 
how synonymous these these awards are with the players and Jerry was listing them off because the NBA, probably better than any sport, respects and honors its history and its players and its Hall of Famers better than anybody. All the Hall of Famers, all the MVPs are always at the finals, always at the conference finals, always at the All-Star game. They are always getting their love. The way you hear a 20-year-old, like back when Devin Booker was a, a rookie, talking about Bill Russell. He never watched Bill, but they love the admiration that these NBA players have for these old cats, these old school players. And we no more than when we saw the last dance, we've seen winning time. And the, the, the way we still talk about the dream team, all these years later kind of shows how important the lore and how modern the lore is for these NBA teams. But we've taken a lot of time with Jerry. We could talk about Michael Jordan here in Chicago, the Bulls, Michael Jordan, the best ever. But I want to end it with this one before we go around the, the room and kind of give our final thoughts on MJ and this entire thing. Jerry, we have a city that's had Gale Sayers. Dick Buckus, Mike Ditka, Brian Erlacher, Walter Payton, Sammy Sosa, Frank Thomas, you know, obviously all Bobby Hall and Stan Makita. And, and you think just go down the list, right? All the great bulls. And there's Michael Jordan. Is it possible in this city where other cities like New York and LA have multiple guys, the Babe Ruth's and Mickey Mansell's and so on and so forth. Can Chicago ever find an athlete to reach the level of Michael Jordan? Never, never. And I'll say this, that's a great question, uh, Ricardo. And I'll say this, remember there were rumors of Kobe, may he rest in peace, coming to the Bulls. There was a, a, a slim chance that, you know, there was conversation that LeBron could possibly come to the Bulls. Had those two things happened, and I think there was even a time in Magic Johnson's uh, career that he had an opportunity to play uh, here in Chicago. I don't think that any player coming here to Chicago could surpass Michael Jordan. I mean, he is, and I hate to, I hate to, to, to classify it in this sense, but it's kind of like Al Capone in Chicago. There's, there's, I don't care who the most notorious gangster is, they're, they're, that name will, is synonymous with Chicago. Michael Jordan's greatness as a bull as a, as a player here in Chicago, it's synonymous. There's no other, there's no one. I, I, don't, there's, I don't think that there's anyone else that could come in. And I think close second, close second is the great late Walter Payton. Those two names, nobody else that can come in here. And, and I, I, don't, I just don't see it because of the, the greatness that they not only showcased on the field, on the court, but what they meant socially and personally to the fans in the streets and, and around town. And it's very hard to, to, to reach that status. And it's very, very difficult to duplicate it. And I think those two men, they, they're synonymous with Chicago sports and Chicago superstars. And I don't think there's anyone else that can come along and, and take that mantle away from them. This has been so much fun. And I think the only way we could end this is by going around the cubicle one last time kind of giving our final thoughts on the legacy, the, the impact of Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, the NBA of that time, how cool it was and the impact it made for us. And we'll start off with the marvelous one. Marvelous, this has been a fun conversation, but your final thoughts on kind of it going full circle at this point and 
Michael Jordan's impact on on Chicago on our lives. Yeah, like like everybody was saying, in Chicago, globally, internationally, everything. It, it, it was it's remarkable what an impact he did have, and and it'll continue uh, long after he's gone, and that will be the real legacy. Well, he'll be gone, and there'll be a trophy named after him still. So it, again, it's well deserved, and I think the league did the right thing. Paulie Dangerous, Michael Jordan, full circle now, my man. Anytime LeBron James, if he wins another one, we'll be holding the Michael Jordan trophy. Whoa, the jump man is on his jersey, and he's wearing Nikes. But your thoughts? Well, on, wearing 23, on right? He's not wearing 23. 23. Interesting. Yeah. Your thoughts yeah. on all this? Your final LeBron thoughts. wants to be Michael so bad. <laughs> so do I. Like Yo, Mike, does. if yeah. I could well, be there's like a whole, Mike. Uh, Gatorade campaign about being like him. Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. Uh, piggybacking off of what Jerry said, if um, if Jordan's Al Capone, does that make Peyton like Bugs Moran or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, leave it to Polly to go deep, deep, deep into the well. Polly, this is uh, I know this is really fun. We get a chance to agree on something and agree unanimously on it. Finally, Dev. Your, your thoughts on this legacy that will go on way beyond us, reach way beyond us, Michael Jordan, even the clothes that we wear, the jerseys that we buy, your final thoughts on this really, really impactful day. I mean, it just, as long as the NBA is still around, Michael Jordan's going to basically live on forever, so to speak. And I mean, that kind of would have been said even without the name, was it in the Sandlot? It's like heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And it's like, this is definitely a way to, uh, you know, really just cement Michael Jordan throughout the entire history of the NBA, you know, for generations to come and come. I mean, who knows? This might not be around 100 years or so. We'll never know here. And all I'm going to say is, hey, the White Sox finally had a player who is recognized as an all-time great just in a different sport. (laughs) On that note, Jerry, your final thoughts on this very fun conversation and uh, what you're working on, what do you have working on for 2023? That's that, that's that's a great question, but I do want to say I think there's one person. Well, there's two two individuals who were probably um, somewhat crushed and devastated of the the, the illustrious, fabulous news that uh, broke with the Michael Jordan's trophy. Of course, we talked about LeBron. I'm sure you know it's like damn, right? The other guy, I know I, who it is. I, Isaiah I, Thomas, yeah. <laughs> Sure, he was crushed. Jerry, because- talk to us about that. C- covering those teams really fast before we we plug all the stuff. You made what a great pool, Isaiah Thomas. Just how much of the story that has to do with this, man. You know, it it, it was so we our rivals obviously were the, the Detroit Pistons because we could not get over the, the the hump. It was Magic and Bird, and they put on great basketball in the '80s, and then Detroit came with the bad boy image. And the thing about it, the commissioner David Stern, again, may he rest in peace, allowed these guys to do whatever. And the game, the sport was different. It was a lot of physicality, a lot of roughhousing, and as Shaquille O'Neal would say, if a, a guy came in the lane, you had to touch him up. Well, the bad. <laughs> given the green light to touch people up. And I remember one particular game at the uh, old Chicago stadium, uh, Doug Collins was the coach and the bad boys, they, they, they were bad and they were throwing people around. They took Doug Collins literally and threw him over the, uh, the, 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 uh, the coaches uh, press box stand on the floor. They grabbed uh, Jordan and we know the Jordan rules, body slamming him. Um, but that's what made Jordan great was the fact that he did not cower. He went in the weight room, 
He got uh, Tim Grover, his trainer. He bulked up, and he came back ready to fight. Isaiah Thomas hated Michael Jordan. He wanted Michael Jordan snubbed in the All-Star game. You guys remember that. Because Michael Michael was slowly but surely taking, winning the hearts of Chicagoans. And Isaiah was an, a basketball icon of his own right here in Chicago, was beloved. Went to Indiana, and of course he goes to Detroit. But because of the antics, people started to lose respect for him. And then, of course, we know the 92 Dream Team snub. And so this is a final blow. Michael Jordan, and I tell people, if I were you, I would never mess with Michael Jordan. I would, ne I would never mess with him. I mean, Jerry Krause couldn't win. May he rest in peace. Jay Williams, when he uh, came to the Bulls and Krause gave him Jordan's locker, the guy almost died on a motorcycle accident. It's the curse of, of Jordan. I wouldn't mess with the guy. And so now for Isaiah Thomas, this was a direct, I think, dig and stick at him because Michael Jordan has never forgiven him and say, hey, listen, don't mess with me. I wouldn't mess with him. Isaiah Thomas is definitely crushed after hearing the news and as far as what i'm uh, up to man i'm actually in wheeling at synergy the movie theater uh and i just had a, a a great meeting and i do have uh three outstanding projects coming up uh in in 2023 the rewind sports 60 might be looking at the new home right here behind me at synergy in uh, one town center um i've got uh a book that i'm working on I've got a documentary uh, that I'm working with a former NBA player, uh, Dr. Lloyd Walton, who played for Al McGuire, the late Al McGuire and the Marquette Warriors at the time. And of course, went on to have a, a fabulous career playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. But um, he has an intriguing life journey that he's allowed me to uh, come on and, and help produce and narrate for him. And uh, I'm looking forward to that project and uh, we got some stuff that we're working on the minor call uh, with the uh, team in Northwest Indiana, hopefully uh, able to do some games for them this upcoming uh, summer and uh, another project that we're working on here at Synergy. So there's a lot, a lot going on and uh, yours truly has definitely been, big, but hopefully 2023 is definitely going to be a, a, a prosperous year. Uh, for the Rewind Sports 60 and for yours truly. And, of course, you guys definitely will be a part of the growth and the process, okay? It is always our pleasure. It's our honor. It is uh, – I mean, we'll say it right here. This is probably the last time in 2022 that the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Single, Paul Shavari, and myself will get a chance to all be in the cubicle office space together and to end – to finish this year, to have the final segment be about – Michael Jordan, his impact in our wonderful city, the sports in our city, the culture in our city and the world. And to have that final conversation with Jerry Riles to end 2022 is a honor and a pleasure. And I know I speak for Devin, for Paul and for Marvelous for that. And I'll, you know, since we have the time right here, it has been an absolute honor and pleasure for me this year to work with the greatest co-hosts and brothers I can ever ask for in Pauly Dangerous, Paul Shavari for Devin Tingo. And of course, the Marvelous One. Dan Marver, uh, Jerry, I cannot wait to see what you have planned for the Rewind Sports 60 in 2023, the year of Michael Jordan. That's right. <laughs> but on that note, everybody have a wonderful holiday season. Enjoy the rest of the sports cubicle. It's a busy week. The Philadelphia Eagles, the Buffalo Bills, all coming down the forefront for the, your Chicago Bears and the White Sox and Cubs might wake up at some point 
this hot stove season? I don't know. Probably not. But we'll keep you posted on that. On that note, for Devin Tingle, for Pauly Dangerous, Paul Shibari, for the marvelous one, Dan Marver. I'm Mike Mercado. Thank you to Jerry Riles. Enjoy the rest of the Sports Cubicle here on WCPT 820 AM. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. We got more coming up next. Wow, what a fantastic finish to a great World Cup. The soccer, the football, whatever you want to call it, was fantastic throughout all 64 matches. It all culminated in a final that was probably going to be considered one of the best soccer matches ever in the history of the sport, let alone the best World Cup final. The final score ended up a victory for Argentina in penalty kicks 4-2 after both teams scored three goals apiece. The scoring got underway early. Lionel Messi got a penalty kick in the 23rd minute. Maybe it was a little bit too touchy of a foul. A lot of people might have thought that maybe the fix was in. And then during the 36th minute, Angel de Maria scoring for Argentina gives them a 2-0 lead going into the halftime. Then in the second half, it looked like Argentina was ready to celebrate. It was the 80th minute. All we needed was about 10 minutes plus extra time to get through it and see Argentina lift the trophy. But wait, another penalty. Kylian Mbappe, who's been solid this entire tournament, takes it for France makes it a two-to-one match. Okay, so now we have more of a fun match, a more competitive match. The last 10, 15 minutes should be really great. But then less than a minute later, Kylian Mbappe scores again and ties up the match at two apiece. So that takes us to the end of regulation. What they do is uh, two 15-minute um, extra times, no golden goal, so it's not sudden death. If they still don't have a winner after the two 15-minute periods, then they go to penalty kicks. What was crazy was that in the two 15-minute periods, you had, I think, a scoreless first um, first uh, you know half of the extra time, and then they changed sides after the short break. And in the 108th minute, Lionel Messi scores a brilliant goal. Uh, Argentina had uh, kind of a counterattack where the ball uh, uh, was shot, bounced off the goalie. Messi was in the right place, right time, was able to kick it in. Argentina takes a 3-2 to two lead. They're in the situation once again where they just got to wait maybe 10, 15 minutes and the trophy is all theirs. But then Kylian Mbappe, another penalty kick in the 118th minute, ties the match. Mbappe gets the second World Cup hat trick, the last one coming back in 1966. I believe Jeff Hurst for England was the uh, the last uh, World Cup hat trick, but Kylian Mbappe Stamping his name in World Cup history, but it wasn't enough. In the penalty kicks, Argentina wins 4-2. to two. They are the champions. It's the third World Cup trophy for Argentina. They won in 1978 on home soil. They won in 1986 in Mexico, thanks to Diego Maradona and uh, his hand of God goal and the greatest goal of the century in the semifinal against England. And now here in 2022 in Qatar, Argentina are the champions. And more importantly, Lionel Messi finally has that World Cup trophy in his cabinet to show that he is probably going to win every argument of greatest of all time. I think as far as this era between Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo from Portugal, Messi has stamped himself as the all-time GOAT, the greatest of all time. Uh, He is, 
you know, he, he has the seven uh, Ballon d'Or awards, you know, which he has edged out Cristiano Ronaldo on that. And now the World Cup trophy, I think, you know, really stamps him as the greatest of all time. He won the Man of the Match award. He won the uh, Golden Ball trophy for his uh, performance. You know, the assists that he had, the goals that he had throughout the tournament. Uh, not his first Golden Ball award, um, but but definitely this one means a little bit more because it is accompanied by the World Cup trophy. So the celebration is on. I've been watching videos of people getting together in Buenos Aires and Argentina, people celebrating in Qatar, people all around the world celebrating Lionel Messi, who is now officially the greatest of all time. Now, we've already talked about how controversial the tournament is, the the, the migrant worker deaths, the, the silencing of um, those in the LGBTQ community, um, you know, amongst all of the other controversies, you know, the, the mis- mysterious death of Grant Wall, uh, even though he he is presumed to have been ill throughout this whole thing. Um, but here was something that I thought was interesting about this that I didn't know until today. Now, of course, I knew that Lionel Messi from Argentina, Kylian Mbappe from France, the two star players, they're both teammates on uh, Paris Saint-Germain in, um, you know, Liga 1 uh, football in France, you know, European football. What I didn't know, though, is that the owner of PSG is Qatar Sports Investments, so it was just kind of a weird uh, scene seeing Sheikh Tamim uh, from Qatar, the Emir of Qatar, handing out the trophies. That wasn't the weird part, but the part where he's giving uh, awards and trophies to both Mbappe, who was the uh, the Golden Boot for the most goals in the tournament, and uh, and Messi, of course, with the World Cup and the uh, you know the the uh, other trophy that he won. Uh, so I just thought that that was something of note and something to keep an eye on. But if you got opinions about the World Cup, what you thought of it, if you thought it was as good as I thought it was, if you thought it was a big stinker, if you thought that maybe we shouldn't overlook uh, some of the atrocities that happened around the event, um, you know, for the glory of the event, then then let us know. Just uh, tweet us at Sports Cubicle TV. The sticker price is eighty-two thousand dollars. <laughs> Well, Paul, the White Sox finally made some moves. The Cubs continue to make some moves, I guess. Uh, On the north side, Cub fans are mostly happy. And on the south side, we're very divided right now with Andrew Benatendi coming to the White Sox and Dansby Swanson coming to the Cubs. And both these players fill the positions that these teams need really right now. Yeah, the White Sox get a left-handed hitting outfielder that can actually play the outfield. And the Cubs get a true shortstop where they can move Nico Horner over to second base which makes Nikki two strikes available. Okay, Mike, calm the frick down right there. I don't want him back. You don't want Nikki two strikes back? No, I okay. do not want Nikki. The White two Sox back. still need a second baseman though. That hasn't been addressed, but I do really like this Benintendi move for the White Sox. It's it's relatively cheap. It's what 5 years, 75 million dollars. That's that's affordable considering what's out on the market. Paul, can I have $75 million? I'm not a baseball You just owner. said it's cheap. You should be able to give me that. If, if I was running a baseball team, $15 million a year would be considered cheap considering guys like Justin Verlander are making $40 million a year. Or some of the other shortstops, uh, Dansby Swanson, I believe, is making about $25 million or so a year. And that's the one I'm kind of more iffy about. Like, you know, Ben Attendee, I'm like, it's a little steep for me, even when broken down. But with Swansby, I'm like... How many more good years do you think he's got left at him? And how long is the Cub uh, contract with the Cubs, Paul? It's seven years, so he will he just had his age 28 season. So, yeah, you're catching him at the prime of his career. He's probably not going to be that solid of a player by his mid-30s when the contract ends. But 
he should be a very serviceable infielder. Swanson is not really known as, as a power guy, despite the fact that he can hit for power. So I think as long as, you know, as long as he still can kind of hit for average or at least get on base at the clip that he has, which is, you know, 320, not not great, but not terrible. Um, I think the Cubs have a quality player. So, you know, seven years is a long time, but at the same time, they needed to go after a guy to solidify the position for a while. That's exactly what Swanson does for you. And I think he's a guy that maybe later in his career could shift over to second or third base if they needed him to. And definitely much, you know, just a way to really help this team out here. I mean, the Cubs said they're going to make some big moves, which... Would that qualify as one? Maybe. I've always liked him going to the Cubs if they didn't go after Carlos Correa. Correa goes with the Giants. I like the move for the Cubs, but at the same time, they got to do a little bit more, I think, to build a World Series caliber roster. Oh, yeah, and that's not the team this year. And, no. and of course, we look at the South Side, a team that has all the potential to be a World Series contender. Well, thinks they're a World Series contender. They have all the potential if we exclude what we, we excuse what yeah. we saw in 2022. There's a lot of ifs, though. Get rid of Tony. That's the first one here. Well, yeah, that was the but, first, but, but you know, is Pedro Grafal the answer? I don't think so. We'll find out. And again, We'll find out, and you know, definitely getting a you know an outfielder who can hit, you know, unlike uh, Pollock, and who can also play the field, unlike Pollock was able to do last year, and who's also under the age of thirty, unlike Pollock. <laughs> Just it's all very nice here, and I honestly, I think it's a decent move for the most. You know, we come, I, I think it's a decent move for the most part, coming from a you know winning team, I guess I'd say in the Yankees. I mean, he only played 33 games with the Yankees. He came, he comes from the Royals. He did win a World Series with the Red Sox. He's been on the White Sox radar, radar for a while. He was uh, originally rumored to be in that trade that eventually brought Michael Kopech and Yohan Moncada over to the team when Chris Sale got dealt to the Red Sox. I think Rick Hahn's always had something for Andrew Benintendi. I know they were talking to him. I, I think he was a free agent a few years ago and they were talking to him when he signed with the Royals. So this doesn't surprise me that he would end up on the White Sox, but um, I think I think it's an affordable price considering what the market shows. They needed that left-handed bat. He's going to be kind of a singles-happy hitter, so I don't know if that solves the problem that the White Sox had last year that they couldn't hit for power. Not a lot of extra base power with Andrew Benintendi. You know, he only had 23 doubles last year, you know, among uh, you know over 126 games. Um, you know, 2018, 2019, he had better numbers with the extra base hits. But, you know, overall, though, it's been diminishing since those seasons. Now, he's had a great part of his career where, you know, 28 years old for the next season, that's a really prime spot. So if the White Sox can milk as much of that talent in this season and next season, you're getting a very good player for that price for the for the five years that they're getting him. And it's a contract that... If it doesn't work out by year four or year five, then they can release him and they're not going to lose too much money on the deal considering what other teams are paying for big players. Yeah, I know. It's not going to be, you know, like we've seen with guys like Dallas Keuchel, how you eat a huge contract. And if they do the same thing with Grandal, eating quite a huge contract here. And I definitely think this is something nice. It's not the big flashy move that everyone wants them to. And let's be real here. If you think Jerry Reinsdorf's going to allow Rick Hahn to make these big flashy moves, <laughs> he must be new here. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens in the White Sox. I think that's going to be the probably the biggest move they make all offseason is Andrew Benintendi. I, I mean, I don't think at this point they can go and make, um, you know, unless they make a splashy trade, but I don't know how much they're willing to sacrifice to do it. As far as what I'm hearing from maybe biased or um, not reliable sources, 
that they're the the franchise or the front office thinks that they have already what it takes to win with. So they're not going to make any. The, the the rumor is they're not going to make any big moves. Laurie really, Garcia is going to win you a game. I don't think so, but I think they think so, and I think a lot of it has to do with the rule changes that took place. Just be glad the White Sox didn't go after Joey Gallo now that the shift is over, because I don't think he's going to be that great of a player with the shift being banned. I thought for sure they're going to go after Joey Gallo. It is the most White Sox move they could make, but with Benintendi, I'm like, no, probably not. And right before Benintendi was announced that he was going to the White Sox, Gallo was announced that he was going to the Twins. Thank God. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sports Cubicle. I want to thank you for listening. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, Dan Marver, I'm Paul Shavari. You're on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Santita starts your morning at 6 o'clock. Messi's the GOAT. It's cage time. <laughs>